Thank you, John. Thank you, Rick, for leading us in worship. Thank you to all of you who are here with us this morning as we gather to worship God. If we haven't met yet, my name's Dirk Jaspers. I serve as one of the elders here and as the pastor here. So would appreciate a chance to get to meet you. I'll be in the back after the service. Would be happy to answer any questions you have about our church or about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, before we turn to our sermon and our scripture reading for this morning, two things that I want to make you as a church aware of. One, as Brian mentioned, is our annual congregational meeting. That is coming up two Sundays from now, November 6th, after the second service. And this is an important time where we handle some church business as a church family. But wanted to make you aware of one thing in particular. That is a proposed amendment to our statement of faith. You can find the details of that in the insert in your bulletin. This proposal uh, would need to be approved by the congregation, and it would amend Article 9 of our Statement of Faith to change one word, premillennial, to glorious. And the effect that would have is it would allow people who hold uh, other views that Christians have traditionally held, like amillennialism, to be a part of our church. And so that's the proposed change. This was a change that the elders actually agreed to propose back in 2019 when Mark was still here, but they never got around to bringing it to the congregation. So if you have any questions about that, concerns about why or what this change would be, uh, I would love to talk with you. I'll be available in between services uh, next week and the week after, and you can reach me anytime. So I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. The second matter, which is a sad matter that you and the church need to know about, involves one of our missions partners, former missions partners. So the scriptures are clear that leaders in the church are to be above reproach. Scriptures are clear that all of us need to be on guard against the deceitfulness of sin. As God says to Cain in Genesis, sin crouches at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. And we have been notified that a missionary who many of you have known for a long time and have supported for a long time, Jose Gonzalez, who's with Encrese, has been removed from that position by the Encrese Brazil board, which is a board he was accountable to as his spiritual authority, a board made up of people who he had spiritually mentored and who had been partners with him in ministry for a long time. And that board, after a lengthy investigation and a multi-step biblical disciplinary process, has unanimously decided that Jose is no longer biblically qualified for church leadership, and therefore he's been removed. This was due to issues of lack of integrity, including financial misconduct, an ongoing pattern that had been going on for quite some time. And so we as a church are no longer able to support Jose. Uh, We plan to continue supporting Encrese as an organization and some of their other work. Uh, And this is obviously a sad situation. We knew nothing about that when he was here just a month ago in our pulpit. Uh, But it is something we found out now and we wanted you as a church to know. And while this is surprising, I think it should be a reminder to us of the dangers of sin, of the need for us to follow Christ faithfully, of the need for us to confess sin to one another and to pray for one another, of the need for church leaders to be above reproach. And so I would ask that you be praying for Encrese as an organization, be praying for Jose, that he would repent and be reconciled to Encrese, and be praying for us as a church, that God would keep us from sin, that God would keep the church leaders in this church from sin, 
and that if there are instances of sin in the future, that we as a church would come alongside one another and hold one another accountable in that. So if you have any questions about that, I realize that's kind of a downer uh, for obvious reasons, but if you have further questions, you can talk with me or with Richard Cedarberg, our missions team leader. He has more details, um, and he'd be happy to visit further if you have questions. So I'm going to pray about that right now, and then we'll go to the sermon. Our Father, we thank you that you are a God of grace, a God who forgives us when we sin, a God who is love. We thank you that you are also a God who is just, who cares about the holiness of your people, and who calls us to live lives of obedience to you and of integrity before you. So we thank you for Incresse. We thank you for the work they're doing. We thank you that they took the difficult step needed to preserve their integrity as an organization. Pray for Jose, that you would draw him to repentance. And we pray for our church, that you would keep us from sin, that you would keep church leaders, myself included, especially from sin and that we would be living lives of faithfulness and holiness before you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, let us now move to our sermon. Would you please turn in your Bible to John chapter 4, verses 36 through 39 through 54. That's page 836 in the Pew Bible. So if you don't have a Bible, grab one in front of you. And if you don't own one at home, you're welcome to take this as a gift from us to you. John's Gospel is focused, really, when you boil it down, on two main questions. Who is Jesus, and how do we respond to Him? Who is Jesus, and how should we respond to Him? Those are the central questions that John wants us to wrestle with. They are questions for people Jesus interacted with in His own day. They are questions we have to grapple with in our day. And they are questions that matter. Because if we have a wrong view of Jesus, an insufficient view of Jesus, then our faith will ultimately be flawed. It will fall short of what God calls us to. And so in our passage this morning, we see a warning from John, again, about flawed faith. A response to Jesus that falls short of what God requires. A response that sees Jesus primarily as a wonder worker, someone who does signs, who can do impressive things, and who can even bring blessing to our lives, but which fails to go beyond that, to see and believe in Jesus as the Christ, as Savior and Lord, and which fails to honor Him and listen to His Word. So in our passage this morning, we have a warning, but we also have a summons to go beyond flawed faith in Jesus merely as a sign worker, and to embrace Him as Christ and to believe his word. So would you please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word, John 4, 39-54. And as I read the passage, I want you to pay close attention to the responses people give to Jesus and how John and Jesus describe them. John 4, 39-54. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. After the two days he departed for Galilee, 
for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. In this passage, John shows us a number of different people responding to Jesus. And at first glance, it seems largely positive. Verses 39 through 42, the Samaritans hear Jesus' word and they believe in him. Verses 43 and 45, Jesus arrives in Galilee and the Galileans welcomed him. Verses 46 and 47, an official in Galilee hears about what Jesus has done and comes to him for help. Now, at first glance, all of these seem like fairly positive responses to Jesus, right? You have people believing in him. You have people welcoming him into their homes. You have people coming to him for help. And so it seems largely positive. But there are indications in the text that at least in the case of the Galileans and the initial approach of the Galilean official, that their response to Jesus, though seemingly positive, is actually deeply flawed. We see this in verse 44 with the Galileans and in verse 48 when Jesus responds to the official. So verses 43 and 45, we have what seem to be very positive things. We're told that Jesus departed for Galilee and that when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, verse 45, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So the Galileans had seen what Jesus had done, and when Jesus arrived in their territory, they welcomed him. Seems pretty good, right? But what do we read verse 44, smack dab in the middle of those two verses? Because after the two days he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. That sounds negative, doesn't it? Now some have suggested here that Jesus is going to Galilee because he's been rejected in his hometown of Judea. That he was the Jewish Messiah, he comes to Jerusalem, they reject him at the temple cleansing, and so he goes back to Galilee and is received there. But I don't think that's the right way to read this verse. I think it is actually a reference, this lack of honor, to the Galileans. One reason is because this same idea of a prophet having no honor in his own hometown is used in two other Gospels, 
Matthew 13 and Mark 6. And in both of those instances where they quote the same phrase, it's in reference to Jesus being rejected in Galilee by the people he grew up with in his hometown. So they seem to say these are Galileans who failed to show Jesus honor. And we also see in verse 48 indications that the Galileans' faith is deficient. So in verses 46 through 48, we have this official who we're also told is from Capernaum, which is in Galilee. He came, uh, he's heard that Jesus had done these great miracles in Cana. So he's heard about the signs Jesus does. And when he came to Jesus and asked him to heal his son, how does Jesus respond? Again, this seems pretty positive. He's heard what Jesus has done. He comes to Jesus for help. But Jesus seems to respond negatively. Verse 48, Jesus doesn't say, well done, good for you for recognizing that I can do miracles and I can heal your son. That's not what he says. He says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the use here are plural. So if we were from the south, we might translate this, unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. He's not just criticizing this individual official. He's not saying your individual faith alone is deficient. He's saying you all, your faith, together is flawed. Because it's just based off signs and wonders, Jesus says. It's you've seen what I've done, and so you come to me and you welcome me to your home or you come to me for help. But it's all just based off signs and wonders, and all you want to see is me doing really cool stuff and bringing blessing to you, but that's as far as it goes for you, and you're unwilling to trust me beyond that, Jesus says. And so, since this guy is a Galilean, this, unless you all see signs and wonders, you all will not believe, is likely a reference not just to him, but to the whole reception that he's getting in Galilee. And this fits with a broader theme in John's Gospel. There's a warning here against seeing Jesus only as a miracle worker, only as one who does really impressive signs, turns water into wine, heals official sons. It's a warning even against just seeing Jesus as one who does a lot of good things and brings blessing to your life. The Galileans believe Jesus brings blessing. The official goes to Jesus. Why? Because he wants Jesus to do a miracle that will bring life to his son. He wants Jesus to bring blessing to him and to his son. And it's true that Jesus does miracles. It's true that Jesus brings blessing to those who follow him. But if that's all we see Jesus as, as just a miracle worker, and we only see him primarily as a source of blessing, and we only believe in him on the basis of what he does for us, That is a deeply flawed, insufficient faith. It is a faith that fails to give Jesus right honor, as we see in verse 44. It is a faith that Jesus criticizes in verse 48. Jesus isn't happy with the state of things here among the Galileans. And we see the same thing earlier in John's Gospel, in John 2-4. through For example, if you turn back a page or two to John 2, 23 through 25, we see something very similar. This is after Jesus cleanses the temple at the Passover feast, which is the basis for the Galileans welcoming him as well in chapter 4. 
And we read there, John 2.23, that when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. That seems pretty positive. But notice Jesus' response, verse 24. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. So in John 2, we see people, they see the signs Jesus does, and we're told they believe in him. But Jesus doesn't trust their faith. He doesn't entrust himself to them, because he knows it's just based off the signs that he's done, and so it's untrustworthy faith. Or consider John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. Why does Nicodemus come to Jesus? He says in John 3, 2, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Why does he know that Jesus is a teacher come from God? For, quote, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus sees the signs Jesus does. And he says, I know you're a teacher sent from God. But even that degree of knowledge based off the signs, Jesus clearly doesn't think is sufficient. Does Jesus respond positively to Nicodemus in John 3.3? No. What does Jesus say to this sign-based belief that he is the teacher? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he goes through a lengthy discourse with Nicodemus where he makes clear to Nicodemus that Nicodemus needs to believe in him, that Nicodemus needs to know who he is, and that Nicodemus' current understanding is deeply flawed. And so in John 2, people have faith, they believe in Jesus based off the signs, and Jesus doesn't trust himself to them. In John 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus because he's seen the signs, but Jesus says you must be born again. In John 4, the Galileans welcome Jesus on the basis of the signs, but Jesus is not given proper honor, John tells us. And then in John 4.48, when the official comes to Jesus because he's heard about the signs and he wants a miraculous sign for his son, Jesus criticizes this only sign-based faith. And as we continue through John's Gospel, we'll see the same thing. In John 6, we'll see Jesus do an incredible sign when he... provides food and loaves and fish for thousands of people out of nearly nothing, and people go nuts. He becomes an instant celebrity. They start chasing him around the lake. But then when Jesus starts talking, most of them end up falling away. Or in John 8, we read of people who believed in Jesus. It says that in the text. But then Jesus, in dialogue with them, calls them sons of Satan and says that they're going to be condemned. So clearly, The belief language in John does not necessarily mean saving belief. And in the case of this sign-based faith, it is often presented in John as deeply flawed. So what does that mean for us 2,000 years later? Well, I think it's a warning that we can look at Jesus primarily as just someone who can do some really cool stuff, as someone who is a source of great power, of someone who can bring us great blessing in our lives. That's why the official comes to Jesus. He believes Jesus can bless him. He wants him to heal his son. Those aren't bad requests. But if that's all Jesus is to us, if all we see is the signs and the power and all we want is the blessing that he brings, but that's where it ends, and that's as far as our faith goes, 
Jesus is not pleased with that. It is not proper honor for him. And it falls short of what Jesus deserves. It falls short of seeing who Jesus truly is. It fails the question, it answers wrongly the question of who Jesus is, and it gets the proper response to Jesus wrong as well. And so consider your view of Jesus. Do you see Jesus primarily as a wonder worker who brings blessing to your life? If you turn on the typical Christian radio station, most of the songs are about what Jesus does for me, the blessing he brings to me. He can free me or heal me or he can heal my marriage or make my life better. And those things are true. It's true that Jesus did many miraculous signs. It's true that Jesus brings life and blessing. After all, he heals the official son. But if that's all we see Jesus as, is sort of this cosmic source of power who makes our lives better, but that's as far as we go with it. We fall far short of rightly seeing Jesus for who he is. And John warns us against that. And ultimately, John's gospel presents that sort of deficient faith as not just flawed, but ultimately damnable. So, if that's the warning, where do we go from there? What does John call us to? Now, he's not saying just throw out all the signs. The signs are important, and John tells us in John 20 that the signs are included so that we would believe in Jesus. So it's not that belief that is affected by these signs is bad, but John calls us to see what the signs signify. He tells us in John 20, I've included the signs I've included so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by the Son of God and that by believing you might have life in his name. So the signs are good things that are meant to show us who Jesus is. And the problem with the Galileans and much of the deficient faith we see in John is that they love the signs, but they fail to see what the signs point to. They fail to see that Jesus is the Messiah, the one promised in the Old Testament, the one who is Savior, and the one who is Lord. And so when we see the signs Jesus does, we should see who he is through them. But to only look at the signs is to fall short. It would be like driving to the Grand Canyon and you see the sign. I've never been to the Grand Canyon. I don't know whether they have a sign. But if they have a sign saying, here's the Grand Canyon and it's beautiful. And you just look at that sign and be like, wow, what a beautiful sign. And then not drive to the Grand Canyon and look at the Grand Canyon. You miss the point. And much of John, the responses to Jesus are people engaging in missing the point. The Galileans see that Jesus does great miracles. They see that he's a source of great blessing, but they don't see who he truly is. They don't honor him as Messiah. Now, ironically, the Samaritans in John 4, they do. Samaritans were the people you would least expect to know Jesus. They were considered the bottom of the barrel, the untouchables religiously, they recognize that Jesus is the Messiah. The Samaritan woman in verse 25 says, I know that Messiah is coming. And then she goes on 29. She tells people, can this be the Christ? And the Samaritans in verse 42, when they talk with Jesus and interact with Jesus, they come to the right conclusions as well. They say, this is indeed the Savior of the world. In John 1, we see that Nathaniel, when he sees a sign Jesus does, makes the connection that Jesus is the Christ. He says, you are the Christ, the, the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And so the proper response to signs is to see what the signs tell us about Jesus. 
It's to say, Jesus, I see you doing these signs, and I see that that means that you are the Savior and that you are the King. And so I'm going to honor you as King. I'm going to trust in you as Savior. And so we must not just look at the signs. We must go beyond the signs to embrace the Jesus that the signs point to. So we must not just believe in Jesus as a sign worker. We must believe in him as Christ, as Savior and Lord. And as we go through John's Gospel, we'll see that this is sort of the stumbling block that people stumble over again and again and again in John's Gospel. John 6, they love the signs Jesus does, but when Jesus starts talking about himself in as the new Messiah who's come, that's when people split. They don't want anything to do with him. In John 8, we'll see something similar. So we need to believe that Jesus isn't just a sign worker. He isn't just someone who brings us blessing. He is Savior. He is Lord. He's the Savior and Lord who is the Messiah, the one promised in the Old Testament. But with that comes a second response that we also, that's tied. They're tied together. And that is we shouldn't just believe in Jesus as a sign worker. We shouldn't just see what he does. We also need to listen to what he says and so believe in Jesus' word. That's what we see the Samaritans do. That's what we see the official do. So in the Samaritan account, why does the Samaritan woman come to faith in Jesus? Because Jesus speaks with her, tells her everything she, he's, she's ever done. He speaks to her and she listens to what he says and she believes in him. And then when the Samaritans come in verses 39 through 42, we're told that when the Samaritans came to him, verse 40, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days and many more believed. Why? Verse 41, because of his signs? No, because of his word. So they hear his word and they believe in him. And then they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So their faith is coming through listening to Jesus' words. They are hearing and they are believing in his word. And that is why they are believing. And then when we turn to the account of the official's son, we see a similar emphasis on believing Jesus' words. So we read that Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Verse 48, then verse 49, the official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now does Jesus go with him and heal the son directly in front of his eyes? No. Jesus said to him, so he speaks, says, go, your son will live. Now at this point, the official has a choice. Am I going to believe Jesus' word? Am I going to be believing what I'm hearing? And will I go and trust that he's done what he says he'll do? Or will I insist that he come with or reject this long-distance healing? Will I reject the word Jesus is saying to me? But what does verse 50 say? The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Samaritans hear Jesus and believe his word. The official comes to Jesus with this sign-based faith, but when Jesus speaks to him, he hears what Jesus spoke to him, and he believed the word. And then as we read on in verses 51 through 54, we find that the emphasis throughout is on Jesus' word coming true. So verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. 
Verse 52, so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. So we have the emphasis is when Jesus spoke. It's on the official believing what Jesus said. And then the official's main takeaway when he talks with the officials is when Jesus said your son will live, that's when he lived. So there's all this emphasis on speaking and hearing and believing Jesus' word. Now the healing of the official son is obviously a sign, and we're told explicitly that it's a sign at the end of John 4. It's an incredible display of Jesus' power. It's a display of his role as the Messiah who comes to bring life where there had been death. But the emphasis in both the Samaritan account and the official son's account is on them believing his word, hearing what he says, and believing he is trustworthy and truthful and who he says he is and what he says he, believing what he says he can do. And as we continue through John's gospel, we're going to see something very similar where people love to see what Jesus does, but when he starts to talk, that's when they bolt. That's when they stumble over him. That to embrace Jesus requires not just seeing what he does, not just coming to him for blessing when we see his great power, but it involves embracing him as the Messiah. And if we embrace him as the Messiah, that means we trust him and we believe his word and we listen to him when he speaks. And so it's not enough to say Jesus is the one who brings me blessing if you don't listen to what he says. It's not enough to say Jesus is a great, powerful wonder worker who I'm going to turn to in my hour of need if you don't listen to his teaching or listen to what he says about himself or believe what he says. And so if Jesus is who these signs say that he is, if he is who John says he is, if he's really the Christ, if he's really the Savior and Lord, then we need to listen to him. We need to believe him when he speaks. We need to believe his word, not just believe the signs that we see. And this is a theme we'll see through John's gospel. We'll see it again and again and again, that it's not enough just to see what he does or to turn for him and help if we refuse to listen to him when he speaks to us. But the good news is that Jesus is one who brings blessing, right? Where does the story end here? The son is alive. They've come to faith. Jesus has brought blessing. Jesus does have great power. He does bring great blessing. Those are not bad things. It's just if we stop there and refuse to go beyond that we fall short. So believe in Jesus. Believe that he has great power. Believe that he can do great signs. But don't just stop there. Believe in Jesus as the Christ. Believe in him as Savior and Lord. Believe his word. Listen to what he says. And if you do that, you will have moved from flawed faith to full faith and you will get to bask in the blessings and power that Jesus brings, in the glory of who He is. You will be able to rightly honor Him in the way that the Galileans failed to honor Him. Your faith will be pleasing to Him, unlike the faith of the Galileans and the initial faith of the official. Your faith will be like that of the Samaritans, pleasing in God's sight. That is the sort of full faith that God calls us to. That is what we need to pursue. So don't just believe in him as a sign worker. Believe in him as the Christ and believe his word. That will help us 
move from wrong views of Jesus to right views of Jesus, from wrong responses to Jesus to right responses to Jesus. And in all of it, it brings Jesus the honor that he deserves. Would you please join me in a word of prayer? Our Father, you know the hearts of all of us here. You know that at times we are tempted to love the gifts you give more than you the giver. Keep us from flawed, deficient views of Jesus that see him just as a source of blessing for us or just as a wonder worker. Would you, by your Spirit, help us to see Jesus fully and rightly as our Savior and Lord? Would you help us to listen to his word and to believe in him? Would you give us faith that both sees and hears, that believes rightly? And would you be honored in our lives? Would you be pleased? Would you be glorified? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.